move on tonight, we're going to be looking at um, a, a message called Pointing to Jesus. We've been working our way through the book of John, and tonight we're going to be in verses 19 through 34, but we're not going to start that just yet. The first thing that I would um, like to do is I would like to get us started with a word of prayer and uh, invite the Lord to join us. So, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to come together as a as a body of believers and also uh, a safe place for people to come and learn more about you, learn about who you are and uh, how you operate and, and just how much you care about us. I pray, Lord, that we would be open to hear your voice, that we would um, be quick to listen tonight, that we would open our hearts to you, that you would speak to us, that you would give us understanding of your word, that you would give us a desire and a passion to learn more about you. Lord, I just, I pray and invite you into this place. Uh, and this place is all over the United States. I see we have people on um, from many, many, many miles from where we're sitting. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with all of us, that your holy presence would be in each of our homes, offices, wherever we might be right now, that you would, that you would pull us close, that you would, that you would really make your presence known this evening, Lord. And I just thank you so much for who you are and how much you love us. It's in your son's name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. So um, we, we just had the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope each of you had more turkey uh, and ham than you could possibly handle. Uh, but I thought this was a good opportunity to talk about what we're thankful for. And I wanted to start out tonight. My wife actually uh, sent me a link to a to an article I was I was reading. It was actually a video. And I was very um, interested to find this little tidbit. Uh, it, it actually was pretty profound to me. And I, I love history. And I was really quite surprised when I heard about the speech that Abraham Lincoln made when he announced um, this whole idea for a holiday of Thanksgiving. And his speech starts out with him talking about the blessings that America has received over the last year. And he talks about how his country, the United States, has been blessed in so many ways. And then he gets to this paragraph, and I'm actually going to read this. Uh, so these are the words of Abraham Lincoln. I do, therefore, invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Did you know that Thanksgiving was a Christian holiday? Did you know that Abraham Lincoln actually called it to be a day of thanksgiving and praise to God? I, I didn't, uh, which is amazing to me that I had gone 50 years in this country without realizing that uh, Abraham Lincoln intended this to be a Christian observance. Um, and by the way, this is rather poignant because this is a difficult time in American history. This speech was October of 1863, which is the heart of the Civil War. Um, this was maybe the darkest hour of American history uh, at, at this point in our history. So it's amazing to me that that our president would come out 
and call a call a holiday to celebrate to celebrate God in the midst of this war. Um, so that begs the question to me to ask you, what are you thankful for? So if you have something you're thankful for, um, please just either put it in the chat or um, unmute your phone. Tell us what you're thankful for uh, and then and then remute. This is the interactive part where you're allowed to jump in. If it's just me talking, it's not going to be nearly as much fun as if you all do, too. Anyone? Anyone have anything that they're... Lauren said she's thankful for an amazing weekend on chat. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Lauren said she had an amazing weekend, and we certainly did as well. That's wonderful. Anybody else have something they're thankful for? Well, I know I am. I'm thankful for so many things, but I'm I'm especially thankful that um, that we get to do this on Sunday evenings. That uh, that we get to come together and just spend some time with one another uh, and really learn more about God and um, learn learn more about one another. Honestly, so all right. If uh, if no one else wants to throw into the chat or or make a comment, I'm going to go ahead and move on to tonight's lesson. And as we get there, I wanted to start with some odds, some statistics. Now, I know some of you aren't math people, and I'll be honest, the math around what I'm about to tell you is pretty high-end uh, math. It's pretty complicated stuff. Uh, so I'm not going to pretend like I understand all of it. But what I will tell you is that there's a man named Peter Stoner, who is a math and astronomy professor, and he wrote a book. And that book is called Science Speaks. And so if you want to know more about where these numbers came from, how they work, um, I would suggest you pick up that book. It's all about what we're going to talk about. Uh, so if you're into that sort of thing, I bet it would be an awesome read. Uh, but I wanted to reference it because we're talking about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, of course, paved the way for Jesus, as we learned over the last couple of weeks. And Jesus is, uh, besides being the Son of God, he's what we call the Messiah. And in the Old Testament, um, in other words, the writings of God before Jesus arrives on the scene, God gives us a whole bunch of prophecy, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 100 and 300 um, different prophecies about Jesus so that we couldn't miss him. He wanted to make sure, God wanted to make really sure that someone didn't deceive us into believing, uh, you know, that we would believe that somebody who wasn't the son of God was, uh, and he just wanted to make it absolutely clear to us. So he gave us all these prophecies. Well, if what we call the big eight, there's uh, eight prophecies that pretty much everyone agrees on. Uh, if just those eight were true. Now, some of them are, you know, a relatively small group of people, for example, born in Bethlehem. Well, there's not a lot of human beings that are born in Bethlehem. So when you uh, take all these together and calculate the odds that one human being would satisfy the prophecy of these eight specific prophecies, the odds it turn out are one times 10 to the 17th power. Now that's, that's a, I think if I'm not mistaken, that's a one with 18 zeros after it, uh, which I can't really put into perspective. It's too big a number. So I'm going to help you out. You see the silver dollar on your screen, and then you see that map on the left of the state of Texas highlighted in the U.S. If you were to take silver dollars, and stack them up over the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Imagine the entire state of Texas covered with silver dollars, two feet deep, and randomly walk, just walk out and pick the one silver dollar with a special marking on it. That would be the odds that one man would meet all eight of those prophecies. Now, that's pretty ridiculously crazy odds, but they get bigger. So 
what if the big 16 are true? What if the 16 most common prophecies are true? The number jumps now to one times 10 to the 45th power. Now, this is, you're going to have to imagine this in your mind's eye. Imagine you took those silver dollars and you glued the sides of them together and made a giant beach ball out of them. Can you imagine that? This enormous beach ball with all these silver dollars glued edge to edge. See the little picture of the sun and the orbit of Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune? If you were to glue all those silver dollars together, it would create a beach ball the size of Neptune's orbit. That's a pretty big beach ball. So we're getting to pretty astronomical odds. What if 48 of them are true? If 48 of them are true, this is the, the number that's absolutely staggering. It's 1 times 10 to the 157th power. Now, we can't really imagine how big that number is, so I want you to look at the little picture over on the right. You guys remember when we were in science class and we learned about atoms? And we learned that inside the atom was a nucleus that had a neutron and a proton. And then spinning around were those little tiny particles called electrons. They're one of the one of the smallest particles that we can measure. Electrons are so small that if you lined up one inch worth of electrons, just one inch, and you counted 250 electrons every minute, it would take you 19 million years to count one inch worth of electrons. That's how tiny these things are. So what are the odds? What do 48 out of 48 prophecies look like that one times 10 to the 157th power look like? Imagine you took those tiny, tiny, tiny little electrons, one for each of the numbers that we're talking about here and stack them together. It would fill the entire known universe, six billion light years in each direction. So in other words, there is absolutely no possibility that any human being will ever meet all of the requirements. We can be absolutely positive that Jesus really is this man we call the Messiah. He really is the son of God. So let's jump in now and look at our scripture for the evening. We're going to be, as I said, we're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 19 through 34. We're not going to read every single verse. But last week, we talked about how John the Baptist, uh, he was the first prophet in over 400 years. And we talked about how both Malachi and Isaiah had referenced him um, some 400 and 700 years before he came on the scene. But now, here's John the Baptist, he's in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people, and the Jewish leaders are paying him a visit. And one of the first questions they ask him is, are you the Messiah? And John is quick to answer, no, I am not the Messiah. And they, they start drilling him, well, then, then who are you? Uh, and we get to verse 22, and they say this, finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They wanted to know who this guy was, or at least who he thought he was, or he claimed to be. Now, he told them exactly who he was. He said, I am the one who calls out in the wilderness. I am the one who is going to pave the way for the Messiah. He references back to Isaiah, makes it really clear of exactly who he is. But I want to ask you the same question. Who do you say that you are? And I'm hoping that you will um, unmute your phone and help me here or go into the chat. So my question is, based on what you know about the Bible, about God, his kingdom, and your relationship to God, who do you say that you are? So who would who would like to chime in on that? You can chime in on the chat. You can certainly, like I said, unmute. Tell us uh, what you think. Who do you say that you are?
Oh, come on, y'all. Don't be shy. I would love to know who you think that you are. Because the Bible tells us really a lot about who we are. So I remember when I was a little boy, I would go, um, I would go to my mother's house. And when I would visit my mother, uh, she was not a woman of means, but she had gone to the store. And, and you remember you could buy those little, maybe you can still buy them. They're like the alphabet pressed out little vinyl uh, letters and numbers, and you could take them and apply them to something. Well, she had made her own sign and she had hung this sign on her front door and it said her name. And then underneath that name, underneath her name, it said, Royal Ambassador to the King of Kings. And my mother knew exactly who she was. Um, and I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not sure who you are, and if, you're, if, if I were to walk up to Jesus right now, if I were to walk up to God and say, who is that person and point to you? Who would they, you know, who would God say that you are? God would say you're a royal ambassador to the king of kings. You are, you are a representative of the king. And so I want you to take that to heart uh, because it's really important that we know who we are. If we're supposed to live out this life for God, it, it's important to know our role, and our role is a very, very special one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, and I'm going to encourage you guys, please jump in. Uh, don't be afraid to, uh, to make a comment. All right. Yeah, and uh, there we go. So at least I got, uh, here we go. I've got, I am an adopted child of God in the chat. Thank you very much. That is that is exactly right. You have been adopted, but you haven't been adopted by just anyone. You've been adopted by God himself. What an amazing, amazing privilege. Last week, we talked about uh, a, a family who adopted a young man. Um, and isn't it, isn't it amazing that regardless of what our past looks like, God wants us in his family? It should be very encouraging um, that he wants us to be part of his family. All right, so why was John baptizing? Verse 24, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 24 through 27. Now, the Pharisees who had, who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, you'll notice that they didn't ask him what he was doing. They already knew he was baptizing. But I think most of us generally think of baptism as a Christian tradition. Um, but it turns out that according to tradition, Jews were actually doing it before Christ uh, was on earth and before John the Baptist, when someone would convert uh, from whatever pagan religion they were to Judaism, they would baptize them. Uh, now, you won't find that in the Bible, but you will find it in Jewish tradition. They would baptize them into the faith. Uh, you also will find, if you go back and look at Leviticus, there were purifying rituals that involved water that the high priest had to go through before he could be, come into the presence of God. So Aaron, as the high priest, for example, uh, would essentially bathe himself uh, and then put on special clothes. And um, there were cleansing rituals that they had to do each time they would enter the presence of, of God. And, and that's kind of like what John the Baptist was doing, because John's baptism was not the same as Jesus' baptism. John was baptizing for the repentance of sins. He was basically telling people, hey, you need to turn away from the things you're doing that, that are wrong and you need to prepare yourself for the coming Messiah. You need to prepare yourself for Jesus. And so when he would baptize them, he didn't, his baptize, baptism was 
simply for the repentance of sins, kind of like uh, the cleansing ritual that Aaron would have gone through. Before he could come into the presence of God, he would need to cleanse himself, right? Um, Now, that's very different than the baptism that Jesus brings. The baptism that Jesus brings is, of course, uh, it's a symbol, and it's a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection into our new faith. Because Christ himself, of course, was, he died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead, just like we are dunked under the water, we are dead in our old sins, our old life, we are buried under the water, and then we are resurrected with a new mind, a new heart. Now, it's not the baptism that does that. The baptism is simply an outward expression, um, a celebration, a uh, public uh, commission saying, hey, this is this is what I've done. I've given my life to Christ. So I want to just make sure we understand that his baptism, John the Baptist's baptism is a little different than Jesus, um, but they understood what was going on. The, the, the leaders of the time, they understood what he was doing. They just didn't understand why he was doing it. And that leads me to ask you a few questions. So hopefully you guys can jump into the chat. Again, you can unmute. Um, how often do you repent of your sins? Now, I want to make this super, super clear uh, before we even answer the question. You don't need to repent for your sins to be saved all over again. Once you are, once you're saved, once you're baptized, uh, you don't need to do it again. But there is this repentance of your sins because we still, unfortunately, continue to sin after we have come into Christ's family. So how often do you repent of your sins? Anyone want to throw an answer into the chat for me? All right. So uh, one person said, when I start my morning prayer, that's good. Excellent. That's a good way to start the day. Anyone else? Okay. I love this. So uh, daily as needed. First John 1, 9. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good point of view, right? As, as, Often as we sin, we should repent and and turn away from that sin and, and first of all, agree with God, hey, man, what I did was wrong. I am sorry. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to work to to be more like your son, Jesus, right? That's, so we should repent as often as we sin. And I love the idea that first thing in the morning, because odds are, um, you know, we've <laughs> there's one that's piled up, right? Uh, that's a good way to start your day. So what are the repercussions if we don't repent? Now, I want to make it clear. You can't lose your salvation because you don't repent of your sin. If you're truly saved, um, you won't go to hell because you don't repent. But there are consequences. What are the repercussions if we don't repent for something that we've done wrong or are doing wrong? There's plenty of folks on here that know the answer to this. All right. So my daughter said, grow away from God, harder to hear him. Yeah, we cut off our communication with God, don't we? Um, anything else? Are there any other repercussions? If we don't repent, we go through the day dirty, needing a bath. Oh, I like the way that that's a good word picture. Yeah, if we don't cleanse ourselves, well, if we don't allow God to cleanse us, um, then we go through the day dirty. I like that. Anyone else want to throw in? I think this is important because so many times we have things in our life that we struggle with. Um, and for whatever reason, we may choose not to repent immediately. Well, if we do that, um, quite frankly, we we disconnect ourselves from our father. We put ourselves in a position where we've walked out from underneath his covering. You know, one of the, one of my favorite Psalms uh, is Psalm 91. And, and it describes God as this fortress as, as mighty wings that cover us and protect us like a, like an Eagle would protect its little baby eaglets. And I think about that. And I think about, you know, if I am, 
am I, if I'm knowledgeable in my sin, I know that what I've done is wrong, but I choose not to repent. I've literally walked out of the fortress and I've walked out of the fortress and I've left my cell phone inside. I can't communicate with God. And I'm all on my own. Not a good place to be. Uh, <laughs> Sam amended his answer. He said, spiritual BO. I like it. I need that bath. All right. So uh, there are repercussions if we choose not to repent. The great thing is that he is faithful to forgive us. If we truly repent, if we truly turn away, we agree with God, what I did was wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And I don't want to do it anymore. Help me not to do it anymore. And we make a plan and move away from it. He forgives us every single time. We don't have to, we have to do any special ritual. We don't have to do, you know, there's, there's nothing else we have to do except just simply come in agreement and turn away from what we've done wrong. All right. So the next question I have is, have you been biblically baptized? Now, I want to make sure um, I run through this. So I'm talk I'm not talking about John the Baptist baptism. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus baptism. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, then you should not have been baptized. So you don't have to worry about it yet. Um, but for those of us who have made a commitment to Christ, uh, one of the, the very first things that we're supposed to do, or actually the first thing, is to get baptized. Now, you'll notice that, uh, especially as you look through the New Testament, specifically starting in the book of Acts, where this is really laid out in, in a lot of detail, you won't see a single example of a person being baptized before they're coming to Christ. In other words, before they've made their commitment of faith, you won't see a baptism. In fact, um, I actually, I think I got this son, this uh, fact from my son, because I was talking to my son who was in seminary about, uh, about this. And I think he told me that it wasn't until three or 400 years um, after the resurrection of Jesus that some people in the church started baptizing their children. Um, and they had good intentions, honestly, from what I understand. They were like, hey, we just don't want to take any chances. <laughs> um, the problem is, of course, that baptism is a symbol of our commitment to Christ. Well, if we haven't made that commitment, it doesn't make a lot of sense um, to get baptized. Now, if you were baptized as a child, no harm, no foul. There's no, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have, if you were baptized as a, as a baby or before you were converted, I actually was baptized as a young man, but hadn't made a commitment of faith. Um, so I got rebaptized as an adult. So that would be a question. If, is if there's anyone on the call, I would love to have you chime in if you have not been baptized, because I'd be really curious to know why not. Um, and because I would love to have a conversation with you about that and, and see if see if it's something that that you still need to do, um, because it's, it's something that God tells us to do. And um, it really is is an amazing celebration. There is nothing. Uh, quite as exciting as, as watching someone get baptized and, and just express their commitment to Christ. It's a, it's a happy day whenever you get to go uh, to see someone baptized. All right, so moving along. Here as we're getting closer to the end of this section of Scripture. Um, we're talking, of course, about John the Baptist here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John is literally with his own disciples. There were men who were following John the Baptist. And the first thing he does upon seeing Jesus is point them to Jesus. Remember, he had made it clear that he was not the Messiah. So when the Messiah shows up, he is quick to point out the way, the truth, and the life. He is quick to point out Jesus to those people around him. And I think this is exactly the right attitude because John the Baptist knew it was never about him. It was never about John the Baptist. It was always about Jesus. 
And so a couple of things I'd like to say is if, if you find someone who is um, behind the pulpit, who is standing on a street corner, who is, you know, at your Bible study, who quite frankly is glorifying themselves and not Christ, we need to be a little bit careful. Um, and I will tell you, just as a person who has struggled with pride throughout my life, we also need to make sure that we're not doing the same thing, right? Um, none of our good deeds uh, are, are worth anything compared to what Jesus does every single day, what he's done for you and me. Um, it's not about us. It's about him. And we need to keep our focus on him. But with that in mind, how do you balance what's done in private versus what's done in public? Now, what I mean by that is for those of us who have been in the faith for a long time, we know that the Bible tells us, hey, do your good deeds in secret because the one who judges, in other words, God, sees you and he sees what you do in private. And he'll reward you for that. And so many of us are very cautious. For example, uh, if I'm going to, uh, 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 you know, give someone a, a, give a church a financial gift, I don't want to go around telling everybody about it because that may be the blessing I get for it. But on the other hand, we need to teach those who are coming alongside us about being giving. We need to teach people how to be good disciples. We need to do good deeds in front of them. So how do you balance what's done in private versus what's done in public. I would love to hear how each of you might do that. What's the difference for you? I know a couple of you know where the chat is. All right, well, I'll tell you where it is for me. It really, to me, boils down to your heart. If you are doing something good and there's someone with you and you can illustrate to someone how to follow Christ well, whether that's through giving, whether that's, you know, um, Whatever it is, some some good deed. If you're going to go, for example, if you're going to go this weekend and feed the homeless, that's a good deed. Especially if you're especially if you're doing it in the name of Christ, right? If you're sharing with people why you're there, then it's good for others to see that because they can emulate you. As long as your heart is right, then you'll be in the right. In other words, if your heart is to share that passion, help other people engage in living out their faith, then I think you're in good shape. If at any point it becomes, I want people to see what I'm doing, then you're maybe in a bit of, in a bit of trouble. Um, and uh, Lauren said, not sure, but may share ideas with others of good things to do with what they have. Okay, that's good. Um, to be able to help people just recognize what their options are. And I think that's important for all of us. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to help other people along in their walk with Christ. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share your good deeds with others around you as long as your heart is right. If your heart is right, invite others to go with you in your good deed doing, if that makes any sense at all. All right. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the next to the next slide here, um, and this is an interesting little piece of scripture. Then John gave this testimony: I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, "The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit." I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So God points out Jesus to the John the Baptist by sending his spirit to come down and remain on Jesus. Scripture says it came down as a dove and remained on him. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Uh, must have been an awesome sight. 
But God made it really clear to John the Baptist who Jesus was. And quite frankly, the Bible does exactly the same thing. The Bible has all that prophecy. Remember, we talked about the the incredible odds that the Messiah could be anybody but Jesus. Well, that's the Bible's way of pointing Jesus out to us, which for me begs the question, how does your life point others to Jesus? What do you do? What actions do you take? What what do you, how do you live your life in such a way that it points others to Jesus? Now, I know that I've had this conversation with some of you on this call. So I know that a lot of you know the answer to this question. I would love for one of you to either unmute or to share in the chat what your answer to that question is. How does your life point others to Jesus? And the awkward silence is not, doesn't bother me at all. Just so you guys know, I can wait it out. All right, anybody? What are some things you can do? Some of them are very, very simple. What are some things that you can do to help people see that your life is different? Serve your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Absolutely. You ever stop to fix a flat tire for somebody? You ever forgive someone who really didn't deserve forgiveness? Were you ever ever able to maybe hold your temper when no one around you could? What are some ways that you can live your life differently that point others to Jesus? John, uh, I think it's important. For instance, let's just take the illustration you gave, changing your tire, changing the tire of someone on the side of a road, whatever. you know, we're here in East Texas, and it's what I would call just the the good old boy helping someone out. Mm-hmm. And so you change the tire. Well, he's a good old boy. Thank you. Appreciate it. I owe you anything. No, man. Yeah. But the only way I can really point it to Jesus is explain verbally to the person who has the car with the flat tire I'm not doing this just because I'm a good old boy from East Texas and I'm the kind of guy that pull you out of the ditch and bring you to buy or loan you five bucks or get you some gas or whatever. You need to understand I'm doing this because, uh, and I have to explain to them to, because this part, how does your life point others to Jesus? You're going to have to point and yeah. verbalize why you're doing what you're doing. Otherwise you're just a, just a good old boy from East Texas who's helping a guy to buy it. And um, there's a world of difference. Yeah. And, you know, and most of us probably have gone to a funeral. And I've gone to a lot of East Texas funerals. And uh, and the guy will say, well, you know, he's a good old boy. He'd give you the shirt off his back. And he's a good old boy. And we know he's in heaven. No. Uh, that That's a works theology. Uh, you know. He may have been a good old boy, but let me tell you, if, if he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not because I'm a good old boy or my mama taught me how to help other people who had flat tires. No, it's because Jesus Christ is in me, and he, and I got a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Hey, pull over, change the tire, and tell them about my son Jesus. Absolutely. And so the pointing others to Jesus, I think, is the key part of this. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. In fact, there have been times— uh, when I did things you could call good deeds, right? But I didn't then share at least a simple message about why I had done what I had done, and quite frankly, afterwards, you know, God would kind of have a conversation with me, going, "Well, that was that was nice, but that was not particularly helpful for them." You know, so you bought them a box of Cheerios, or you, you know, like you said, helped them fix their tire. Well, great. That didn't get them any closer to heaven. So um, I do think it's important to be able to verbalize the why. Um, yeah, you've, you've got to help them connect the dots because there's a whole movement out here, uh, you know, paying it forward or being a good old boy and letting people know. But if they don't know 
what you're trying to do. They don't connect the dots. They're not sitting there. Wow, this guy must be a Christian because he stopped to change my tire. <laughs> yeah, um, not so much. You know? Not so much. Yep. Um, and that kind of goes to what I was going to talk about next because. Um, my next question was, Hey, when God gives you opportunities, when you do have the opportunity to help someone to, to be giving to whatever that situation is, can you point Jesus out to people? You know, God made it really clear to John the Baptist who his son was. Are you able to do the same thing? Can you tell someone, can you articulate to someone how he has shown up in your own life? Can you tell people how your life is different? because of Jesus' presence in your life. And I want to I take a quick little rabbit trail, only be here for a moment. Um, but I want to encourage you to think about, was there someone in your life who paved the way for you to meet Jesus? So in my own life, there's no question that my mother, um, she was the John the Baptist for me. She was the one who prayed for me. She was the one who continually tried to share Christ with me um, for my literal entire life. And she was um, assertive about it. And, and quite frankly, I was, I was not a, a, a willing host. I was not a gracious uh, receiver of that, of that blessing. And, uh, but there was someone for you probably paved the way for you to meet Jesus if you have the opportunity, if you haven't thanked them, man, it would be such an awesome thing for you to let them know how they helped you. Um, and it may not, there may be someone else who has encouraged you in your life that may not have been the person who necessarily um, helped you understand who Jesus was for salvation, but maybe helped you just in your life or in your walk. Um, I know there was one particular uh, person that I knew who I had a conversation with, and I had no idea how impactful it had been for this person. Um, quite frankly, I was just relating to them. He had had a, a life experience that was very difficult. I had had the same experience in my life. So I shared, um, Hey, I went through the same thing. And this is how, this is how God redeemed it in my life. And it was a casual conversation between two men, quite frankly, walking through a parking lot, going to a storage building to get a barbecue out. Not exactly the setting for a profound conversation. But I found out later it had a very profound effect on him. And I don't honestly don't even really remember what I said, but apparently God put the words in my mouth that were exactly what this man needed. So if there's someone who has encouraged you, if there's someone who has paved the way for you, if you can tell them, thank you. Just, you know, sometimes doing good can get wearying. So if you can help someone know how much they've helped you, I think it would help them. All right. So whose responsibility is it? <laughs> um, earlier we talked about odds and I did some math of my own. And I thought about, you know, what are the odds that if someone's trying to find out about God, that they'll get the answers that they want? Well, in the United States, the number of people who claim to be Christian, it's been declining uh, over and over, uh, year after year, it's been declining. It's down to about 65%. So about two out of three people, about 65% of Americans will claim, if you ask them, are you Christian? They will say yes. But Barna recently did a study with very simple guidelines, very core concepts of Christianity. Do you believe that Jesus is the way to heaven? Do you believe that Jesus was resurrected? Do you believe that God created the earth? Five very simple foundational truths of Christianity. And found that only 6% of those who identified as Christians actually held a biblical worldview. In other words, knew anything about the Bible at all, even basic theology, basic understanding of who Jesus is. And if that's not bad enough, when asked, those people who claim to be Christians, if someone engages you about your faith, in other words, if someone asks you, not are you going out and evangelizing, but if someone asks you about your faith, 
will you talk to them about it? Only 19% said yes. If you ask them, only 19% would say, yes, I will discuss Jesus with you. 65% times that 6%. Now we only have 19% that will ask. That means that one out of every 125 people, if you were to ask them, would be a Christian, understand basic Bible, I mean, very basic, and be willing to talk to you. So for those people who might be seeking advice, if they were to ask 125 different people, only one of them would have sufficient sufficient information to give them anything correct. That is scary. Let me tell you what's scarier. Those are for the people who are seeking information. Less than 2% of that same people group are active in evangelism. In other words, they go out intentionally trying to talk to somebody. So think about that neighbor. Think about that brother, sister, mother, father, friend. Think about that person that you know, that person that you love, that does not know Jesus. What are the odds that someone will come up and talk to them? Now we because of the small percentage of people who are willing to evangelize, the odds are one out of every 1,250. There is a one in 1,250 chance that someone will approach that person that you love who does not yet know Jesus and talk to them about Jesus. And that assumes that those people who evangelize talk to every single person they meet, which we know is not true. So think about the odds if someone you love is seeking God, they have a one in 125 chance of finding the truth. And if they're not seeking, there's a one in 1,250 chance that someone will tell them. So whose responsibility is it? I'm going to leave that with you. And talk about next steps. For some of you, you don't yet know Christ, you have not made that commitment to him. Um, you're, maybe you're still checking it out. You're trying to understand what this whole uh, salvation, repentance, um, what in the world is sin thing, this conversation is. Uh, so I want to invite you. Uh, if you have any questions about, about Jesus, about Christianity, about faith, please contact uh, me either through either directly if you have my contact information or through the website. We would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, I would love to have a cup of coffee with you, even if it's virtually over a Zoom call or a phone call. For some of you, you may have been a Christian for years and years, but you never got baptized. Well, for you, maybe that next step is to go ahead and make the plunge, so to speak, and and get baptized. For some of you, you have been biblically baptized, but I'll bet you know someone who's a believer, who's a follower of Jesus that hasn't done that yet. For you, it might be helping someone else come to that decision and get baptized as well. So each of us has something that we can do this week uh, because, of this, because of this little message that we just read. And I want to also let you know that there is a commission opportunity. In other words, there's something you can do this coming week on Thursday, December 3rd at 11 o'clock here in Rockwall, Texas. If you happen to live in the DFW area, um, we're going to prayer walk and evangelize. So there's at least two of us going. Um, now, that could be something you're going, awesome. That is something I would love to come do uh, if that's the case. Come on. There might be others of you who are like, wow, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Well, that's okay, because we also would love to have you as prayer support. So if you would like to maybe check this out, see what this looks like, see what it's like for people to just intentionally go have conversations about Jesus. Um, we would love you to be part of our team that day and literally just come with us and pray for us. Uh, you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to, um, you know, engage with any strangers. Uh, but boy, it would be a help to have you praying alongside us as we're talking to others about, quite frankly, about their future, about their eternity. And um, 
And so that's uh, that would be something that that we would love to have you do. If if Thursday at 11 is just something you can't do, if you're like, oh, man, I'd love to do one of those things, but I can't do Thursday at 11 o'clock. Um, contact, again, contact us either through the website or contact me directly. We'll figure out a time. We'll set something up for you so that you can be part of what we're doing. And if you're in another city, I know there's uh, some friends of mine on. I see from Atlanta, Georgia on. Obviously, you're not going to come to Dallas. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't um, interact virtually. That doesn't mean that we can't find some folks for you to do the same thing with. So let's work it out. Please just uh, reach out and, and let's talk about how we can get you involved in this commission opportunity. So I'm going to go ahead in just a moment, um, take some take some questions, but right now I'd like to close this. Lord, I just thank you so much for the example you gave us of John the Baptist, uh, a man who was not afraid to do exactly what he was called to do. You called him into a, a tough job. He was going to have to, uh, to deal with some difficult people. Um, he looked different. He talked different. His message was not an easy message, and yet he was so obedient. I thank you for his example. I pray, Lord, that uh, that each of us can really understand what you've called us to do, what you've called us um, to walk in. And I pray that you would help us to to know exactly what that is. And, and regardless of how difficult it may look, that you would just encourage us and embolden us to go do it. Because the last thing you promised us is, is that you would be here with us, and you are. So I thank you for that. I thank you that you never leave our sides. We are never away from you. You are always with us. And Lord, it's, it's only through you that we can do any of these things. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to thank each and every one of you for coming on. I know it's Sunday evening uh, and you have other things you could be doing. Uh, I really appreciate uh, that you have come on. If you have friends or uh, acquaintances, coworkers, anybody you'd like to invite to join next week, we would love to have you do that. Um, and don't forget on the if you go to the website and pull down the um, the message guide, there are follow up questions that you can uh, answer at home uh, and dig in even a little deeper to what we looked at tonight. And we thank you guys and ladies so very much. We love you. And uh, hope you have an awesome week. Take care.